a podcast from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. Welcome back to The Grind, a church planning podcast featuring practical tips, missional strategies, and personal stories to bring you insights and encouragement. Coming to you fresh from Little Rock, here's your hosts, Dave McClung and Neil Scoggins. Well, welcome back, everybody, to uh, this episode of The Grind. The Grind. Wait a minute, where'd the people go? Uh, the what? The last time we were, yeah, there were like a bunch of people around we us. We had a big audience on yeah. our first ever live podcast. That was fun. It was fun. Yeah. 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 So if you missed it, you can go back and check on check out those episodes that we did live at the ABSC annual meeting. Yeah. Uh, interviewed Dustin Clegg and learned that he's as country as a cornbread wedding he cake. Really, <laughs> right. Yeah, that one got me. There you go. And then we went all the way to Las Vegas. From when Arkansas to, to Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. And I'm like, that man, I, <laughs> I got to meet his dad. Yeah. yeah. Um, he did, I guess he does some FCA stuff or something. He, he's a sports equipment to. salesman. Yeah, that's what, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, wow. So he knew a couple of coaching buddies of mine, yeah. and, and we, we connected pretty quickly. There's a lot of things going through my mind. He truly supports athletics. Oh, I'm he just does, saying. he does. And, I, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there's not many people that he doesn't connect well with. <laughs> that's, yeah, right. Dude, that's right. That guy yeah. was fun. He, I enjoyed yeah, talking to him. For real, Yeah. for real. Yeah. There you go. And then... Your friend hey, and mine. The the penultimate. 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 <laughs> I don't even know if that uh, was a know, word. It's, it's yeah, better than ultimate. Ultimate. You it's know? penultimate. Yeah, the classiest guest we've had on this podcast For real. by far. By far. Um, there you go. Miss Andrea, Andrea Lennon. Lennon. That's, That's right. right. She's the, yeah. she's awesome. The woman, the myth, the legend. There you in go. Arkansas. Indeed. And so she and my wife drink the same kind of water. <laughs> They do, man. I'm just telling you. They do. They talk on Facebook about the kind of water they drink. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, yeah, yeah I, I don't I don't like it. Right, you know, right. But, you know, I pay for it. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> that's right. That's my job. That's I just job. pay for the water. That's right. And not say nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah, yeah. God told me yesterday, listen, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Yeah, that's right. There you go. You so, got that right. mama be happy. Yeah. <laughs> so, that it. was a lot of fun. And it was. And I hope you guys enjoyed those episodes. And so, uh, uh, that was the first. I think that's something that will continue on. I think everybody Everybody enjoyed that pretty yeah, well. And, yeah, yeah. And it went well. A so. lot of folks had a good time. And they yeah. didn't know. There are a lot of people like, oh, man, didn't know that was around or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So, uh, and share it on Facebook when you see the pieces and yep. you check it out. Just go ahead and yep. share those podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of fun. Cool. And so today, we've got a very special guest, a longtime friend of mine, and uh, my grandmother's uh, pastor until she passed away a couple years ago. And and uh, so... Uh, uh, excited to have Bobby Clark on the podcast with us. So say hey, Bobby. Hey, it's good to be on with you guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Bobby, it's like double dutch, Bob. You got to figure out when, you, when you're going to jump in. <laughs> That's right. Stuff whenever you guys holler. How's that there, sound? Yeah, there you go. There you go. So if he was your grandmother's pastor, he knows stories about you. He does. He does. Gotcha. So, okay. so Bobby went to Abbott, what, a year before I came to Midland? Is that right? That's probably correct. 1999. Yeah, because I was at Midland for four and a half years, and I've been here for for 15. So, so yeah, that's, that's about right. Wow. And uh, and so when 
when I got to Midland and came back and was hanging out with my grandmother, she said, she said, you need to meet my pastor. You guys are going to like each other. And uh, I said, okay. I said, well, I'm looking forward to meeting him. And we got connected and hooked up and realized that we, we had a lot of the same mindset, a lot of similar personality and kind of approach to ministry. And, and so my grandmother would always talk about all these changes that Bobby was making. And she'd come say, what do you think about that? I said, I think it's great. Yes. He's doing exactly what he needs to do. There you go. And then she finally got to the point where she quit asking me about it because she knew what I was going to say. <laughs> you're going to say, it's great. <laughs> yeah. And she'd tell him all the time. She, he'd, he'd say, well, why don't you go ask Dave what he thinks about that? I'm not going to do it because you two guys are two peas in the same pod. And I <laughs> know what go. he's going to say. You already know. There you go. That's cool. Yeah. That is kind of cool. That's right. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, he's done an incredible job there. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal leader. He's a contractor owns a construction business as well uh, as pastoring this church and revitalizing resurrecting this church and we're going to talk about that quite a bit today just the the whole bivo approach to planting whole bivo approach to ministry yeah uh organizationally leadership wise balance how you you know how do you balance running a business leading a church and family as well and i want to know yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we're going to kind of dive into that today. And so, so Bobby, once you start out and just kind of talk about your ministry journey, uh, leading up to and including coming to Abbott and, uh, and our conversation today. Will do. Uh, thank you, Dave, Neil. Um, I want to say, uh, I really appreciate all the work you guys do there at the grind and Arkansas Baptist State Convention. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be on with you. Well, I did like most ministers. I started uh, in the youth ministry when God called me into the ministry um, and then worked my way up to the first pastorate at 21 years old. Uh, God showed great success in that pastorate. Uh, I knew how to minister. I knew how to um, evangelize, but uh, wasn't a very good pastor. I uh, didn't know how to delegate authority. As most young pastors, uh, burned the candle at both ends. Mm. Kind of burnt myself out in the middle there for a while. <laughs> And uh, went on to work on staff for several churches. And then, as you mentioned a minute ago, in 1999, uh, came to Abbott. And that's a very unique story in itself. Uh, just want to share a little bit of that journey with you uh, for the next few minutes. Um, my mother was diagnosed with cancer in 98 and was uh, probably... It did experience her last Thanksgiving with us in Thanksgiving of 99. My brother, first church, was Abbott. He preceded me there in the church as a bivocational pastor, wow. 14 years younger than me. He was a very young man, and uh, I had done a revival with him with another uh, pastor that pastored a large church in Las Vegas, Dr. Bob Norvell. I don't know if any mm. of you know Dr. Bob or not. Yeah, Bob would preach tonight, and I'd preach tonight, and we started with the four ladies, and we ended with the four ladies when the revival was <laughs> over after seven days. And it was a very small church, 36 by 46 sanctuary. Um, my brother decided he was going in view of a call to the First Baptist Mountainburg, and he came to me in the fall of 99 and said, Hey, would you like to pastor Abbott? And I'd come off the staff of the big church, and I looked at him with a uh, Days look in my eyes and said, are you kidding me? What's in Abbott, Arkansas? He said, well, you know, they really need somebody. And he kept pursuing me. And when we came to the Thanksgiving of 99, he 
came to me there at my mom and dad's home and he said, I'm, I'm going on December 4th, uh, my first service at Mountainburg. Uh, you sure you want Pastor Abbott? And I said, no, I'm not interested, Daniel. And he said, well, tell me why. And I said, okay, let me count the way. Uh, when I preached for you down there, I said there was two wind air conditioners in the windows. When they cycled, I had to quit preaching because the congregation couldn't hear me. <laughs> There's two wall home propane heaters. <laughs> I said the same red carpet's on the floor. It's been there since 1962. When I step off the pulpit, I nearly crushed through the floor. It's got storm doors on the outside. It's got a wheelchair ramp. You park six cars in the front parking lot. And I said, Daniel, the outhouses are still out back of the old building. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And he looked at me and he laughed and he said, oh, he said, you're mean. And I said, no, I'm just a realist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not coming to Abbott, Arkansas. And uh, he said, well, you come as supply only. And I said, I'll do that. Tell the ladies that I'll come uh, during the month of December only, Sunday morning only. I won't come Sunday nights. And then by January, they need to have them somebody. And so that started the journey. With the four ladies at Abbott, we got to the end of December, and instead of four, we had eight or nine, and then we, I stayed on end of the month of January of 2000, got through Y2K, yeah. that big excitement <laughs> at that time, and um, we were up to about 11 or 12. Uh, the only time that I uh, didn't spend many hours in prayer with my wife before I accepted a pastorate or a staff position, and I about the third week in January, I told the ladies, I said, if you still want to call me, I'll come as your pastor. My wife, being the gracious woman that she is, never said a word until my front tires hit 71 Highway, and she said, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I said, let's just take let's just take it and see what happens. And what has happened is God has done a tremendous work there over 20 years. I can't tell you all the things. We'll never share in this time frame yeah. all the things God's done at Abbott. But it's been a tremendous journey. We started with a building and one-third of an acre that I had uh, an appraiser from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention reference come down and they give us a $40,000 appraisal. We now have 3.2 million on campus paid for, and we're in a community of 47, and we run between 150 and 200 in attendance yeah. on a Sunday wow. morning. I mean, Man. it's just become a, a truly regional church, and uh, it just and, and I, you know the you know hearing some of those numbers are kind of staggering, but to really hear the whole story, and of course, I've watched it for 20 years now. And and there's just not another one like it. Uh, I mean, is it is wild. such a unique story, not just in Arkansas but across the country. You know of how God really did resurrect the, those four ladies, my grandmother included. We called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and I'm telling you, that's really right, and, and it's true. And and when Jesus comes back, it'll be those four ladies coming with him. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now, so so where are yeah. the four ladies? So have all of them passed away? All but one. All but they one, Pastor. All but one. Yep. Uh, my treasure, uh, she is approaching 80 now. She's the last one of the four. Yep. Um, fantastic ladies. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit more as you ask your questions, and we'll get into it. But uh, I got to tell you, when you uh, uh, 
if you're going to resurrect the church, and truly it was, it was a resurrection. Yeah. Uh, if you have those type of ladies with you, praying for you, backing you, um, there's a great opportunity for God to do something uh, supernatural in yeah. a location. And I have to give a tremendous amount of credit to those ladies that were willing to do whatever it took to see their church grow, to see people saved. Yeah. And Dave's grandmother was a special lady. I told my dad after I'd been there about two or three years at the church, I said, if God's got me at Abbott for no other reason, it was it's to learn how to be a man of God when I get older in my age. Yeah. By the way, Dave included me in the old age group when he asked me to join his podcast. I really didn't know quite how to take that. <laughs> he said, uh, I was once young and now I'm old. <laughs> I got you. But I mean, but so, so other than those four ladies, what, what are some of the main things? Cause we talk about revitalization. Right. We talk about planting, but you, you, y'all are using resurrection. Yeah. So what are the keys? What are some of the keys that you've learned other than having those four ladies and being able to not only resurrect their church, but keep it going for 20 years. I mean, you're seeing over a hundred, close to 200 people. Now, what are some of the things that you've learned over the years? Well, Neil, it was, uh, it, it's been a multifaceted approach to what we've done. And, and, and saying that we've not done it all at one time. And I think so many young pastors try to do yeah. it all at one time. Yeah. It can't be done all at one time. Yeah. It is a process over 20 years. Okay. Um, but I think there's a difference uh, between a planter and a plower. And, and a plower mm. is, is somebody that plows up the fallow ground. And, and many times when you're resurrecting uh, a church that's established, you have some set standards and principles and traditions that you've got to plow through if you're going to make those changes. Just like Dave talked about Sister Francis, his grandmother, coming to him and saying, are you sure this is what we need to do? What, what do you think about this? Day? I mean, because there's one thing that I told them when I first went there. I said, we have First Baptist Mansfield setting up the road from us four miles. We have First Baptist Waldron 11 miles south. We have Fellowship eight miles to the north. It's ludicrous for us to think we can do the same things those bigger churches are doing and have success. We're going to have to find the things that we do best and mm. do them the best in order to get our churches to grow. Man, and one of the word. things, and those are some hard decisions yeah. sometimes. You know? um, I, one of the first things we did, we, we had VBS. All the rural country churches do VBS. I walked us through our first couple of VBSs there, and, and I went to the, to the church, and I said, we just don't do VBS very well. So my suggestion is we do VBS for First Baptist Manson which does a great VBS, and we concentrate on what we do best, which are big events. Uh, Dave's grandmother was a fantastic cook. Most of those ladies were. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 we coined what we call dinner on the table. That's still how we announce our potluck today. Wow. We did dinner on the tables, and, man, we, those ladies cooked fantastic food, and we invited people in from the community. And uh, we started building the church, and the first group was farmers, you know, and because yeah. uh, that's what's around us. Yep. And then we expanded out from there. Yeah. Wow. I remember awesome. the I remember the first time, one of the first big changes when you guys started making some changes in worship. 
uh, and bringing in keyboard and guitar because it used to be just a, you know, an out of tune piano and <laughs> and, and an out of tune singer and, uh, for the longest time. And then when he brought in some instruments, I, the the piano and guitar was one thing, but but when he wanted to bring in a djembe. Oh man! Uh, she called it bongos. <laughs> you know, Bobby's wanting to bring bongos into this church. What do you think about him bringing bongos? And I said, well, I don't imagine that it's bongos. I imagine it's probably a djembe, some yeah. kind of percussion, just to help with the beat and everything. And I said, I said, well, I said, I said, you you need good music. You need to change up the music. I said it's going to be okay. I said just trust him on this and see what happens. And uh, and start it started changing the worship environment yeah you know, the music started changing and now you walk in there they've got a worship team that's second to none i'm telling really? you it's as good as anybody in the state and yeah. uh but 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 he's right those those ladies were willing to to trust him and do some things and go along with him so you have that. to find those folks it's because it sounds like you if you go into a situation they have to be willing and open and you have to kind of find those people that are willing to, to trust oh, very, you very much so neil yeah, very right. much so. Um, Dr. Turner, several years ago when he was uh, there at Arkansas Baptist State Convention, called me one day and he said, Bobby, will you go around to some of the churches that are calling me? They are they are dead center and uh, minister to them and tell them what they can do to, to, to grow their congregations. Some of them had beautiful facilities. I went to three of them over a period of about a two year period of time. And um, I could have just asked them two questions and known if they were willing to make some changes or not. But I looked at their facility, ministered to them, and it was primarily two questions. I said, number one, and they're, they're mostly in the form of a statement. I would say to them, if you want to do Baptist life, and it's great to do Baptist life, just like we did it in the 50s and 60s, I said, your church will be blessed. But look around, you're all great hair. When, when you pass away, your church is going to die with you. Or you can choose to get your hands dirty in the society that we live in today and go out and minister. And yes, you have divorce, drugs, and alcohol, and all blended families, and all those complicated things that we didn't have in Baptist life in the 50s and 60s. But you'll get people saved, and yes, they'll hurt your feelings sometimes, but when you pass away, your church will live on after you. And, and mm. almost every one of them, I could look into their eyes and say, and they were saying to me with their eyes, we're going to live Baptist life. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and that was indicating why, why they were in the situation that they were in. Well, well, Dave's grandmother and, and the other ladies were not like that. They were willing to do whatever it took to get their church to grow. I, I'll give you, for instance, UDI, Union Drilling, was drilling the Bragg Basin. This is Western Arkansas, where Abbott is at, and at one time, about 15 years ago, there was 60 drilling rigs within four or five miles of the church that were drilling for natural gas. I got the ladies to to bake batches of cookies for me, and I, as a teenager, worked uh, in the pipelining business, so I knew the drilling industry, and I knew how rough the roughnecks were, their language, and all that. And I would go out on the, the, the site, and I would ask the foreman if I could just visit with the guys that weren't up on the rig working, and I'd begin to talk with them and build a relationship with them. And before long, I asked them to an invitation. I said, guys, I know you're out here, and some of you are not working. Will you come to church on Sunday morning? And they looked at me and said, Pastor, we're in our UDI blues with, with oil all over us and grease. We can't come into your church. And I said, guys, 
I'll set you up some metal chairs if you'll come. That way you can't get anything dirty and you feel comfortable. You come just like you are. And for a period of about two years, I'd have anywhere from six to 25 UDI drilling wow. men come into the church and sit down and hear the gospel. Yeah. And those little things were momentums for our church to grow and, and get the people excited about what God could do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's well, awesome. And, and that's, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum on the podcast. I mean, it, it comes down to building relationships with mm-hmm. lost people mm-hmm. and and being willing to willing to receive them as they are, you know, when they yeah. come in. And and it's, you know, Sonny says all the time that uh, uh, ministry is messy and church planting is bloody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you're doing a resurrection like that. It can, it can get a little messy and a little bloody sometimes. <laughs> but if you've got some folks willing to go with you, uh, and welcome people when they come in, then, then God can really do something. Yeah. Well, let me, let me give you a, a, a testimony. Let, let me talk a little bit about Dave's grandma. Just a little bit. We've mentioned her several times. About six months after I was there at the church, one of the first things I wanted to do, we had one of those, you'll remember, those big pine pulpits yeah. with the sacrament table that sat in front of it. They were in every country church around, everyone I ever pastored in i wanted to move those out of the way and go to a single lecture because i'm not very good at being a good baptist and stand behind the pulpit i roam quite a bit yeah. so i want to be able to get out behind the pulpit quicker and roam and so on a sunday night we had the third sunday night of every month we had business meeting back then and i asked if i could move that pulpit and sacrament table to the back and just go to a single lecture uh, Dave's grandmother spoke up, and she's always very gracious. She said, uh, Brother Bobby, she said, um, some people donated money for that so many years ago, and she gave me the history on it. She said, I, I, I think we better think about that. And I said, you know what, Sister Francis, I think you're right. I said, uh, we'll just table that and move on. And I tabled it and moved on. So on Sunday night, Monday evening, I get a call from her. I never got a call from her, hardly ever. And when I got a call from her, I expected something I need to go minister to. And I said, Sister Francis, what's wrong? What I need to do? And she said, nothing. She said, I just want to talk to you a minute. You got time? And I said, sure. And she began to tell me, she said, God kept me up all night last night. She said, I prayed all night long. <laughs> See if I can keep it straightened together while I tell the story. Yeah. She said, if you want, to paint this church purple. You think it'll win people, Lord, you paint this church purple. Man. You want to move that pulpit sacrament table, you move that sacrament table. Wow. And I said, thank you, Sister Francis. And for two years, I left it set there and never moved it. It wasn't important to move it. What was important is what had just happened. Yeah. yeah. And really, I can tell you, that was, that was a switch that turned Abbott on yeah. at that moment. Yeah. I mean, yeah. God just, flooded that place and it took off. Yeah. Do you think that we miss those moments, like a moment like that? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you had an opportunity right there to say, okay, uh, something I suggested, they, uh, Sister Francis said, hey, you can do it, but you chose not to. Do you think sometimes as planters, pastors, uh, leaders, church leaders, that we miss those moments or we mess those moments up? Because what you did, that's major. Mm-hmm. I mean, because a lot of guys I know would have said, oh, she said move it, I'm going to move it. <laughs> yeah. But but didn't, but miss the big picture that she's open to just winning folks to Christ regardless, you know, at whatever cost. Do you think sometimes that we we miss the moments in, in the process that we're doing? 
Oh, absolutely. I think you're absolutely correct. We do. And when we do, we miss the opportunity for God to work in ways beyond we can't even imagine or understand. And we minimize what God can do when we miss those moments. Yeah. Well, and in that moment, what, you know, what happened is she's saying to you, I trust you enough to follow your leadership. Yeah. And what you said to her was, I love you enough. I'm going to let that sit there for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have Absolutely. to move it right now. I know how hard this is yeah. for you. Yeah. And because you trust me, I'm going to show how much I, yeah. I, I care for you. That's major. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I tell you, and this is one of the things that I've always, I always loved about Bobby. He's very been very intentional in what he's done, but he, he understands pace of change hmm. that people can handle. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and they, you know, they changed a lot, you know, uh, you know, I remember, you know, remodeling that first building and then building the second one. And then even, I mean, there's been a lot of change over the last 20 years, uh, for those, those ladies and, and the new people that came in as well. But, uh, but there's, there was a, a pacing to it that was yeah. healthy yeah. and, yeah. uh, and it, and what it did is it built trust with those people and, and it got to the point my grandmother would do whatever, whatever he wanted to do. Cause she knew yeah. that people were going to be reached with the gospel, but you yeah. could have moved a little and I'm kind of jumping around here, but you, you've been in construction for 2.9 million years. So you could have easily <laughs> done whatever, correct? I mean, because of what you, because of your skill set. Well, true. And, and my skill set, Neil, is part of why the church has been able to do the construction projects right. that we've done. Right. I mean, let's face it, not all pastors have that skill set right. to lead the church through that building process again and again and again. Yeah. You know, I built the first 11 years I was there, I did nothing but build buildings. We chased structure because. Uh, our growth was outpacing our facility. So we were constantly chasing the next building. So, wow. um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, that's true. Yeah. But, you know, but there are a lot of churches uh, that uh, that have people in their churches that have that skill set. What, mm-hmm. what you, you know, you were able to lead that, you know, from, a, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a personal skill set you had, but the, the leadership aspect of that and understanding how quickly you do that, how, you know, the, the, the pacing on that, you know, is just as important as having the skill set to build it. Cause there, there are churches that have contractors in their churches all day long that would help and oversee those projects and stuff, but mm-hmm. you still got to understand the, the rate of change that a church can handle. And that's one thing you did very well there uh, that others could learn from uh, in all that. Talk, talk about, talk a little bit about, cause I, you know, I was down there a month ago now, I guess uh, for your kind of 20th anniversary celebration, even though that was about nine months, 10 months after your actual, <laughs> you know, 20th anniversary. <laughs> But has celebration and and uh, and you've added a couple of guys on staff there, uh, Ryan, uh, not Ryan Clark. Um, oh, good grief, Ryan James. Ryan James, uh, who is a former student of mine in my, my first youth ministry position. But you've had a couple other staff guys, all of them bivocational. Uh, you've got an incredible team of guys there and, and ladies there that you know serve and work in the church. Talk about kind of the the organizational leadership aspect of that and how you know how you you've brought people in and given them places to serve because everybody on staff is bivo. Uh, and talk about creating that bivo culture and and how wow. you've done that and and done that well. Well, we do. We have. Um 
we have uh, four, including myself, that are on staff. And then I have a church planner, former church planner for, for North American Mission Board, Mark Lennon, is with us too. Uh, we use a loose elder-type situation where they're all part of the leadership team, even though Mark is, doesn't hold an actual title position there on staff. Uh, Ryan was at Pleasant Grove too, and uh, I built a relationship with him for many, many years. Just he, he, I, I, I was uh, introduced to him at an associational Christmas party. Uh, I asked him if he would like to meet sometime and, and, and just pray together. He said, yes, we prayed together on Thursdays for about six years. Uh, every Thursday he would come to my house and we'd pray together. Um, and while well, he was pastoring there at the church and then, about a year and a half ago, he joined me on staff as my young couple's uh, pastor. His wife uh, runs our children's church department. Um, I have um, uh, Hayden Ohm is my student minister. Hayden's family were with you at Midland. Yep, sure were. I think. Yeah, and uh, he came over to uh, Abbott. I uh, baptized him. Um, if the Lord leads in that direction. We're kind of grooming him for my departure one day down the road. He'll probably become the next pastor of Abbott. I believe in raising up from within the church. If you can. Yep. Uh, and I, God is honoring that. Uh, and he is an outstanding young man. He's about to finish his bachelor's degree. Uh, I think this spring he finishes up. His wife has a music degree. She's come out of First Baptist Fort Smith, which is my home church. And she leads our worship team like you said outstanding worship phenomenal team. wow i have a uh man that's uh 48 years old that's on staff with me he's my outreach leader his wife Mark, his wife is an aprn um, that works my son's a doctor in fort smith and she works with him and so they're very in entwined in the family and uh, he works as my outreach leader, directs my breeze program and, and a lot of my electronics. And then um, Mark Lennon, the former NAM uh, church planner, works my sound department. His wife is in the worship team and they teach and, and train and work with my older group of, of uh Men, uh, people there, elders there in the church. And so it's just a, it's a real good balance of all those people. One of the things that I would tell people in building a Bible, bivocational staff, start with, you have to find and, and know that those are people are intentionally bivocational because I'm an intentional bivocational pastor. I could be full time. Church pays me almost like, a, uh, so anyway, um, uh, you had to find someone that's intentional. And then you have to find the skill set and the ministry set, and, and and their calling is toward whatever you need them for. And that doesn't mean that their personalities are the same as yours. In mm -hmm. fact, I'll use a secular terminology for this. You you need, and we understand we're not hired, we're called, but you need yeah, to yeah. hire to your weakness, not yeah. to your strength. Yes, it clones a good get very one sided. That's yes. a good word. That's yes. a good word. So, so talk, unpack that because that is is key in any team building kind of thing as well as to, to maximize complementary strengths. Talk about kind of how you've done that and 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 you know what each of the guys have brought into the table uh, that have really complemented you well in, in that. Well, uh, and you're probably going to 
path somewhere along the way. We may jump out a little ahead of it by saying this. But if I look at my strengths, my strengths are ministry, pulpit, and administration. And we can talk a little bit about administration in a minute, but the Abbott is uniquely set up in a bivocational format. We've had the privilege of, of teaching this all over the country with the BSCLN, and uh, we'll talk about a little bit about that in a minute. My staff, Ryan works very well with young couples. He's a very mild-mannered young man, very pleasant to be around. Uh, I am a type A personality. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm in your face. I'm go, 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 go. Uh, he works very well with my young couples and his wife being involved in the children's ministry. Young couples have what? Young children. Yep. Yep. So they're there in our children's ministry. And so we work very, very well together in that aspect. You go over here to Hayden home in the student ministry. Hayden is, again, very, very quiet young man, very pleasant, but, but is able to step up, ministers very well in the pulpit, but has a very relational side of him to minister to uh, the students and him, his wife, uh, in, in the music department, relates very well. She has a music degree, very well with the music people. Then you go over to Wade Day, which handles my outreach and um, uh, different sides of ministries. I use him like a utility guy. He has his own business. Um, he's, he's financially set, so I can call on him about any time I need to, and he can pull away from his business to get something done that I need done. He's very good in electronics. He works with my son and my wife in the technology end of things to keep it moving forward. Um, he has a, a Sims company, which is in electronics, so we get a lot of uh, upgrade on the technical end side from him and a lot of expertise from him on that end. His personality is much like mine. I mean, he's, he's engaged all the time, but he's very much more of a salesman than I am. So I use him a lot in, in outreach uh, for ministering out and touching different people and ministering getting a hold of contacts that we need to get certain things done in the church. Very yeah. good at that. Yeah. And then, and then Mark Lennon has a lot of contacts inside them and, and with other ministers. And so when we're looking for a particular uh, ministry event who fits this, then I lean on Mark for that uh, type of expertise. So yeah. we all fit each other very well. We're not all the same personality. I have to hold my breath, especially on the guys that, uh, don't move as fast as I do. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you, did, did you go looking for them or did they just come and you, how do you identify them as they, they, they come along? I know, because uh, a lot of times we think that people are already ready-made when they get there and you can just plug and play and take off. But did they just kind of grow up in the ranks or or how did they Yes did they and yes. Connected? Yes and yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All the above. Yeah. I got you. Um, Aiden, Aiden grew up in the ranks. He's been with me since he was eight years old. Yep. Wow. Um, so uh, he's watched my ministry. Um, he's he's learned very much how to deliver in the pulpit. He's very astute, watches everything, and he absorbs everything. He's a big sponge. And so uh, I feed him as much as I can, trying to get him ready. His wife, same way. She's very fine young lady. So Hayden is just a, a natural to grow and to learn. I tell you, every Sunday, Hayden learns something else. Yeah. You know, he grows yeah. that much more in the ministry. 
Uh, Ryan, uh, as he came to me from Pleasant Grove, too, uh, like I said, been with me almost two years, been with me two years in February. I would tell you the first year, year and a half, of Ryan being with me was very difficult for Ryan. He come out of a small church atmosphere. Abbott does not function like a small church. It is a rural church, but we run on PRs and event notifications and uh, intense paperwork and scheduling. And we run 367, I believe it was, events through our church last year. Um, in order to do that bivocationally, that's including Sunday morning and Wednesday night. But in order to do that bivocationally, uh, you have to be planning. We have a one-year, three-year, five-year planning board, uh, 12-month planner, a 30-day planner. Um, and Ryan's transition to Abbott has been, at best, difficult. I'll tell you for him. He's just now grasping how to stay on top of the paperwork. I had a former associate pastor that was with me. It's now in Dallas, Texas, moved on to another ministry. Used to tell all the new staff members, and we've not just had the same staff members over 20 years, obviously. But as they'd come in, they would he would tell them, if you take care of the paperwork, the paperwork will take care of you. If you don't take care of pastor's paperwork, the paperwork will run over the top of you and make your life miserable. (laughs) So do your paperwork. Yeah, you you threw a number out. You said, and maybe I, you know, I don't know. I can't hear when I take my glasses off because I took my glasses off and I didn't. You said I said it right. Three hundred and sixty-seven events ran through your church in twenty years or last year. No, that's a one-year program because. Now, that's including, like I said, that's including a 9 o'clock Sunday morning service, Sunday school, 1045, 630 Wednesday night. We schedule everything. Everything is in the planner on a schedule, and it's on the big board in a schedule. But it's also, well, I'll give you, for instance, what's coming up right now. We have we have 11 events taking place in the next seven days at the church. Now, those are practices. Those are Christmas programs. You understand, anything that goes through the church and is scheduled has an event notification attached to it. And if it's got a financial component to it, it has a PR purchase requisition attached to it. So those each are individual events as we schedule through the mountain man is coming from duck dynasty in February. We've been planning for this event for six and a half months now. And that's generally my planning schedule is about six or six and a half months out. Whatever's coming that far ahead, we're planning for, six months out yeah wow which is the only way you can do that with everybody being bivocational yeah absolutely yeah this is what i tell pastors when i go minister to them if if bobby clark were to step off the scene tomorrow god forbid let's say god the lord just took me home tomorrow this church will run the next 12 calendar months without me being there because everything is in breeze everything is going out for notifications Everything's on the big board. Everything's in the thirty-day plan. Yeah, that. But but you, man. I'm sorry. This is just captivating my attention because this is like this is what like 
thousand member churches or people that may run 700 mm-hmm. in Sunday school and a thousand on Sunday morning. Did, was there any, and I know this is not one of the questions, was there any pushback or hesitation when you started tar- uh, trying to implement that level of organization? You're grinning that level of organization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were running about 15 at the time and I introduced the PR and a bit notification system in a business meeting. I remember the ladies stuck up their hands almost all over the congregation there. And they said, Pastor, why do we need that? We just get up on Sunday morning and decide what we're going to do. And I said, yes, ma'am. And that's small church mentality. As long as you think small church, you'll always be small church. If you'll prepare the net for the big fish, the big fish will come and get in the net. And I said, do you prepare the net? I'm not going to send the fish. Yeah. That's good. That's good. We started that system. It, it's a unique system. I don't know if we've got time to even talk about it or not, but, uh, you know, we plan those events, and you tell me whether we've got time to even delve into it or not. Yes, because I, I think that's, you know, most of our, and I would say this is probably true of pastors, youth pastors, any staff position. There, You know, there are typically guys who communicate well, uh, and are extroverted, people-oriented, relationship-oriented, unless they are a type A kind of personality, they struggle with organization. Uh, you know, it's generally one or the other. Uh, and uh, a lot of our planters are, are typically good preachers, communicators, mm-hmm. relationally, but their weakness is organizational, mm-hmm. you know, leadership systems, mm-hmm. things like that. And so I've had to learn, you know, after 15 years of being at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, I've had to learn how to organize and build a system that worked for me. Uh, You know, part of that is bringing people in and around me that have administrative giftings, you know, and utilizing them well. uh, And, uh, you know, detail minds that Mm -hmm. will think of details that that my brain just doesn't think about yeah. uh, I can do big picture you get me to the event I can own the event can run the event you know I'm, I'm gonna you know we're gonna communicate well everything's going to be covered but some of those detail things I have some of those people in play and so uh, you know so a lot of our guys are gonna fall short in those areas so just just talk some about you know, the systems you use, the, the tools that you found that yeah. really helped, you know, what, what an event notification, how, what system are you using to send out event notifications? You know, what does your, your, uh, PR stuff, your requisition look like? How do you do that? So kind of talk about your organizational systems a little bit, because I think this would be really helpful yeah. for a lot of guys. Okay. Be glad to, um, First of all, let me talk about, you said that a lot of the pastors are not organizational by nature. And I would 100% agree with that. They're yeah. relational by nature. Yes. So they don't do those things of organization well. Right. First thing I do is I, I use the modified disc, which is actually a secular mm-hmm. yep. program to identify personality. You guys yep. have heard about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you've done it a lot. I give all of my staff, in fact, if I give all of my leadership, that test so I can identify what personalities that I'm working with. Yep. And that helps me understand if they fall behind on their paperwork, why they're falling behind on their paperwork and the ones that excel, why they excel. So I know who I'm, I'm looking at an event notification basically says on the, on the paper here, here's the day of the event, where, where it's at, what it is, uh, what group in the church is involved, how many is involved, um, 
if you need the Casey Center, which is our gymnasium, multi-use facility, if you need the uh, sanctuary, if you need the student center, how many tables you need, how many chairs you need, do you need the sound system, do you need a sound director there, or can you run the system yourself, do you need video? I mean, it, everything is on that sheet that identifies the basic needs of that event. At the bottom, it has a who's who's asking for it, the coordinator. It has who's the director over that particular department. And then it has a slot for the pastor secretary. If that event has a financial component to it, meaning if it's going to cost money, then there's a the, PR uh, sheet. And that purchase requisition is simply a, a questionnaire of what's going to be used and how much. And, and so there's lines there for you to fill those out. If they don't know, they guess at it the first time. For the, Maybe they've never done this event before, so they're estimating. And they tell me that they're estimating these costs. At the bottom of it, it has a line for the pastor and a line for the treasurer. So they staple them together, and they come to the, my secretary or to me. And at that point, they're unattached, and my secretary takes the event notification, and the purchase requisition goes to the treasurer. My secretary looks at that event, she compares it to the big board calendar. She looks inside the computer. It's also in the computer. It's also in a syllabus. Every, every event notification is in there, so she can see everything that's happening over the next 12 months, even out five years, if she wants to look out that far. Because we have some that are repetitive events that are scheduled out five years ahead of time. She looks in there and she says, okay, there's nothing that would keep us from having it. There's no other event on this particular day. Or maybe there is. And if there is an event that conflicts with it, she'll write on the bottom of it in her slot that this there's an event that conflicts with this and it can't happen. And she'll sign off on it. That event notification, whether approved by her or rejected by her, meaning if there's a conflict or not, comes to my desk. The other PR went to the treasurer. She looks on and we have a budget. I have a budget team that fills out a budget that goes to my deacons every year that all of our staff are involved in. And we look on that budget to see if it fits that department's budget, if we're in budget or not with that particular yeah. uh, event. Maybe it's a new event and my treasurer will put on there and nothing was budgeted for this event. She'll sign off on it. She'll come back to my desk. At that time, I put the two together. Let's say, okay, the event is approved. There's nothing in conflict. There's money there to have it. I sign off on both of them. It goes back to my secretary. It's duplicated. It's put in the syllabus. A copy of it goes to my desk. A copy of it goes to the director. A copy of it goes to the coordinator. And a copy of it goes to my staff leader that's over the top of that. The copy goes back to the treasurer. Now, everybody's got a copy of that approved event. It goes in an approved event file. It goes on the big board, and it goes in Breeze. We use the Breeze program to send out our blurps, our notifications. And so uh, Pastor Wade takes the event, feeds it in the, the Breeze, wherever it needs to be put in at, and it sends out the notification that, that when that event comes up so many days out and then right before the event for the entire church that that event's taking place or a department if it's just a department event. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did it take you guys to get that system in place where it's working like it is now? Uh, ongoing. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
It's uh, not done yet, huh? Well, I have guys that that struggle with yeah. just just and, and you're you're not going to. Um, it, nobody likes to do paperwork. You don't like to do it. I'm good at it. I don't like to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's my nature, and I still don't like to do it. Yeah. Uh, so you have to constantly encourage and you have to sell the big picture of why we do this guys. And, but here's the deal. When they begin to see their events come off and they have, especially like Ryan, it's been in a small church and he, he, he would give me this testimony. He told me, he said, pastor, before I learned this system, this would be my idea to do an event or my wife's idea, Joanne, to do the event. We would do all the work. By the time we got to the event, we were so wore out. We didn't care about the event. We, you know, yeah. we, we were exhausted yeah. before the event got here. He said, now when my events get here, they're so well organized and so many people are doing the work. It's delegated out to different people. We get there, we enjoy the event that we have. Yeah. Um, it's, like know, project, it's like project management 101 is what you're yeah. doing. Sounds yeah. like. That is major. But, uh, and a lot of people get afraid of that in a smaller church mm-hmm. because they think, okay, it's overkill. Like, like you were saying earlier, if we only got 15 people, why do we need to do that? Yeah. Well, you know, if you want to catch big fish, you got to throw out a big, yeah. I, man, that, I like that. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. If you could give one piece of advice, I know you've done a lot and you are, man, you've been doing this for 20 years, specifically on the Bible, which I'm, I'm just going to tell you, that is, you, you got to have hair on your chest or something. <laughs> to do Bavo and grow, grow a church, man. I'm telling you. So um, if for all the planters that are listening, whether they are planting or revitalizing or resurrecting, or just trying to stay afloat, what's one big piece of advice that you would give them? What's the biggest thing, the one thing or two, you know, cause man, you've been doing it for a while. Yeah. Uh, that's really overwhelming. Cause I don't want to even size that down. Um, probably stay humble and do what you do best do it well yeah uh you can't do everything yeah so whatever it is whatever you do best whatever god's blessing with and that may change too as the church changes and as the personality of the church changes over the years i've found out that what we do best at abbott has changed over the years dinner on the tables was the best thing when we were very small now probably the best thing is the big events like the mountain man coming in and touching our area regionally and Mm -hmm. bringing men in regionally but um do what you do best and uh, don't try to do everything you can't do everything as the church planner or a church flower revitalization guy resurrection guy you can't do it all yeah do what you do best yeah well and that's one thing you've done a you've done a great job of being who you are at Abbott. I mean, you're not trying to be First Baptist Fort Smith. Not Now, there's things you can learn from them, obviously, in other churches, mm-hmm. but but you've got to contextualize all of that for where Abbott is. Uh, and, and you guys have done that very, very well in taking who you are, maximizing who you are, and as God adds to that, then then you expand that and uh, step by step. And uh, Well, let, let me say this, and I, I don't mean this to be disrespectful in any way to anybody so uh, I don't want this to, to come across this way but I've heard so many uh, larger pastors say if you will take the design or the package the program that's worked in the megachurch 
and you'll just divide that down to whatever church size you have and apply that, yeah. it'll work in church. That's that's a false narrative, yeah. guys. It won't work. It won't. Because what happens in a big church is much different than what happens in the smaller church setting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And full vocational staff and bivocational staff have to approach things very, very differently. Um, and so what you need to learn to do is just what you said, I can glean from a lot of different places. I, I'll give this illustration. I'm jumping around a little bit here. But when 40 Days of Purpose come out, I've seen a lot of young pastors try to take that excitement of that mm-hmm. ministry concept and implement it on the rule basis in a small church. Yeah. And I beg them not to do it because it won't. it may work in California, yeah. but it won't work in backwards Arkansas right. in the rural church. It, a piece of it might take right. a piece of it that excites you mm-hmm. and, and seed it into your church and see if it'll grow. And and if it don't grow, a seed doesn't hurt anything. You can back that seed out and do something else yeah. to change your, your, your approach. But you have to figure out exactly that. What, what your church uh, needs and desires, because there's a lot of, God can be in something. If you can't get your people to understand it or follow it, doesn't mean it'll work in your church. You have to back up, pray it through again, and figure out something else that will work to be willing to do that. Yeah. Man. That was the exact situation that happened to me when I was at Midland with the guy before me. And, and you know, Rollin did a pretty good job. I mean, I think he was pretty well liked, but he tried to turn them into Saddleback. Uh, everything yeah. was purpose driven, uh, use that language all the time. It, it did not connect well. And I had, uh, one of the couples that really liked what he was trying to do, not always necessarily the way he was doing it, but the changes he was trying to make, they liked told me after we'd been there about a year, they said, you know, everything he tried to do, you've been able to do. You just hmm. didn't call it purpose driven this and purpose driven that. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. well, we're not, we're yeah. not saddleback. Yeah. We're First Baptist Midland, yeah, and uh, and and that's you know, and I tell guys all you know, it's always fascinating to to ask guys who they're reading, you know, who their ministry, who who they follow in ministry. They'll and tell you will, a lot, and, and will, <laughs> and watch what they do, and they're trying to mimic those guys. Yep, yep. And, and you learn from those guys. Wayne Cordero said one time, I was hearing him speak, and he was talking about learning from you know, the Rick Warrens and the Andy Stanleys. And he says, he says, guys, he said, those guys are literally one in a million. He said, you think about all the people on on this planet and those kind of leaders are, are literally one in a million. He said, he said, I'm a runner. He said, or I try to be a runner. He said, I like to run marathons and things like that. He said, I've learned that I cannot run with the Kenyans. (laughs) <laughs> and he said he said now i can learn yeah. from the kenyans yeah and they can help me get better but i can't do what the kenyans do that's right that's, that's <laughs> and, right that's right and, that's I thought, true. and i thought that is that is so profound and so wise and you right said there. earlier about the false narrative i mean i think yeah. we buy into it because yep. it looks so simple on paper yeah i mean you know i watch highlights of michael jordan all the time <laughs> but there is no way i will ever be able to get that high off the ground yeah and yeah. so i just you know i get sega genesis and then just stick with that <laughs> but but just i i think the the greatest word you shared with me because i'm gonna tell you the things that you're laying out for me uh smaller church um urban con- regardless of the content i think that just translates across the board just do what you do well uh-huh 
and God will take care of the rest that's of right. it. That's right. And hire to your weaknesses, of course, you know, that's the pieces. But, man, this has been any bivocational guys that, you know, hesitate and say there's no way we can ever do this. Man, no, we can we can still do ministry at a higher level, but we just have to do what we do well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's the cool part. Exactly. Yeah. Well spoken, man. Well said. All right. So we're running out of time here. So we want to get to uh, uh, our kind of our last section that we do with all of our guests. And uh, this is really intense. And uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Ooh, <laughs> and, boy. And, and causes great consternation for yeah. a whole lot of guests. It's really funny to watch people squirm. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, for a rapid fire section, just some hot, you know, just quick shot answers to these just to give people a little more insight into who Bobby Clark is. And so, so top, top one or two books that have had the most impact on you in ministry. Wow. Um, in ministry, uh, the armor bearer, God's armor bearer. Yeah. Uh, it's not a Southern Baptist author. Uh, I don't know if y'all know Terry Nance or not. Yeah. He's I know Terry. Little Rock. Yeah. It's Cares an excellent, excellent book. You can, you get past the terminology of the theology. He, yeah. He's charismatic, but you get past that, the, 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 the core of his teaching is biblically sound about being an armor bearer for your pastor. I use this book to teach my staff how to be armor bearers because if, if you can be a good armor bearer, eventually if your heart is to be the leader, to be the senior pastor, God will elevate you if it's his will or that position, if you learn how to to be the armor bearer of your leader or your pastor. Yeah. And uh, it's made a tremendous impact upon my life and I think more many. Um, another book, uh, Dr. Lloyd Elder used to be, I think Lloyd was the, mm, maybe the Sunday school director for the Southern Baptist Convention at one time. Uh, Dr. Elder's in his 80s now. In fact, as I talked with him the other day and his wife, he wrote a book called Taking Charge of Your Time and Stress. Hmm. And, man, I've given that thing out all over the country for bivocational pastors. It helps us understand how to manage our time and how to pray through stressful situations. And and uh, they, they are just two fantastic books. They're not very uh, thick. They're not novels. So, uh, you know, you can spend some time in them and get through them. You know, the thing about bivocational pastors, small church pastors is they, they're carrying four or five different hats at the same time. They mm-hmm. don't have a lot of time. And so they work very, very well. Uh, these books do it. Get us information. Awesome. That's good. Awesome. Okay. Greatest strength and greatest weakness in ministry. Easy. Greatest strength is probably the dual role that we talked about, pulpit ministry and administration. Greatest weakness is is hospital visitation, brother. <laughs> I think everybody would say that one, man. Yeah. I tell you, wow, yeah. man, that... I, I'm just terrible. I have to work at. So yeah, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. That's yeah. right. That's exactly right. At least you know them. Which is well, and, and we talk a lot about self awareness on this podcast. The better you know who you are, how you're wired, and what your strengths and weaknesses are the more effective you're going to be as a leader yeah. and, and building teams around you. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of guys that would answer uh, hospital visitation on that one as well. <laughs> so our favorite hobby or pastime? Uh, going hiking with my wife. We've hiked almost all the trails in Arkansas and we've hiked the Metopus in Africa. And, uh, we love to go hiking. So cool. that's probably my biggest. Cool. Wow. It's fun. 
Cool. Okay, favorite movie. This is going to tell it right here. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm kind of a twisted personality. Uh, probably Big Jake on the Western side and and uh, probably uh, Star Wars Return of the Jedi on the science fiction. Oh, wow. I don't go. know how to bury those two together. <laughs> <laughs> That's both ends of the spectrum right That's there. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, Star Wars is just a Western in space. <laughs> That's so, right. You know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, favorite band or musician? I don't have one, brother. <laughs> I just got to tell you, Dave, I know how musically inclined you are and how much you love music, but that's not, that, that may be the other part of my greatest weakness. I am not musically inclined. I can't, I know, a, I know three words to every song ever written and, and not a full sentence to any of them. Yeah. <laughs> That is hilarious. Oh, That's funny. Goodness, that's great. <laughs> okay, so what favorite genre of music? Let's there you say go. that. There you go. Favorite genre of music? Oh, I'm probably in the secular world. I'm probably a 70s pop era. Yeah. 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 That's I can right. see yeah. that. I can yeah. see that. That'd be all right. That's cool. That'd be all right. <laughs> cool. I don't have one. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> You know, if I start a group, I'm going to call it I Don't Have One. That's Ladies right. and gentlemen, put your hands together one. for yeah. I Don't Have One. In honor of Bobby and Clark. I don't know what to tell you, guys. Yeah. I just don't have one. That's, that's great. That's great. Well, hey, cool. uh, let, me, let me throw this out there because I, I think you would be very much open to this. I don't want to put you on the spot. But if we have some Bivo guys that are listening to this, planters or pastors or whatever, uh, I, I know you you always love speaking in the lives of other ministers and, and pouring into other ministers. Where would be a, a way that they could contact you and ask you some questions? Because I'm telling you, your organizational leadership oh, is man. such a cut above that would be so helpful for so many guys to put some organizational systems in place to to build their their ministry as a bivocational pastor. How could they get in touch with you and maybe have a conversation with you following this? Let's just do two ways. Uh, uh, email uh, Bobby J. Clark, B-O-B-B-Y-J-C-L-A-R-K, at Hotmail. That's a personal email that I use for a lot of contact with ministry. Uh, cell phone. I use two cell phones, one for work, one for ministry. Uh, area code 479-252-0775. That's the ministry phone. Uh, just give a call to that. If I don't answer, please leave a message, uh, and we'll get back with you on that. Um, we travel. I'm the consultant for Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Missouri for the Bivocational Small Church Leadership Network out of Nashville. That's the old bivocational arm of the North American Mission Board. And uh, we also minister through... I don't know if y'all remember a few years back, uh, uh, Dr. Frank Page commissioned the Bivocational Advisory Council to the to the Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. We produced that uh, syllabus that we gave at the National Convention in St. Louis, uh, giving the statistics on bivocational small churches. Forty uh, percent of the baptisms come out of the small churches in the convention. Almost half of the cooperative program money comes out of the how the small churches in the convention, Wow, th they have connections to me as well there at SBC, and they can get contacted to me if, uh, if they need to go in that direction. You guys could get a hold of, uh, get a hold of me, and I'd be glad to come and yeah. talk. We'll travel if we need to travel. I need to schedule out. can't be something quick, but 
because we're booked up pretty tight over the next few months. But uh, I can come and travel too if we need to come and minister. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and I tell you, I, you know, I'd encourage you guys out there. You know, if you're interested in in doing bivo covo ministry, well, Bobby's a great resource, a great source of wisdom. Uh, he's just done it for a long time and done it well, mm-hmm. and and started with very little and has moved to too much. And so, uh, uh, so he'd be a great guy to contact. And I know that's his heartbeat, and he'd love to come alongside you and encourage you and and uh, help equip in any way uh, that he can. And so, uh, sure enough, if you got some questions for him and interested in having conversation, reach out to him. Uh, he'd love to talk to you. I'm sure. That's cool, so, man. You blessed me today. I, it's a pleasure meeting you, man. It's kind of cool. Well, it's an honor to be. Guys, I hope we've just planted a seed somewhere that will help a Bible or church planter or church flower or whatever uh, ministry they're in. Absolutely. Dave, thank you very much. You bet, buddy. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on The Grind, and uh, we will see you next time. Indeed. That's all for this episode of The Grind. Make sure to sign up for The Grind email newsletter for all the latest news, articles, and book recommendations by going to absc.org slash thegrindnewsletter. If you like what you hear, rate and review us, and make sure to share this episode with your friends. Until next time, keep grinding.